Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by the ghost of good movie trailers. Remember when previews didn't ruin the movie? Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by the Sparta Tournament. Watch the 16 biggest, baddest MMA fighters from around the world fight for $5 million. See Koba and Mad Dog Grimes go toe-to-toe in the Sparta Tournament. It's the first one I've actually known what it's from. I wrote it specifically for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a show where we like to break down, so to speak, in in a fashion of like a mortar and pestle films to kind of see what they're made of and uh, try to analyze them for movie making tips, filmmaking analysis, and hopefully learn something about filmmaking, maybe something about life in the process. And I guess movies in general are usually about more than just what they're about. They're trying to speak to you, at least the good ones. Yeah. (laughs) We're trying to speak to you on a deeper level. And that's some of the stuff we like to try to dig into as well. Yeah. I mean, even, even me. So, um, I don't have a, as, as extensive a a film background as you, uh, Wes, but I do, love film i do love movies and i can tell a bad one from a good one (laughs) Uh, which i think most of us can and that usually comes down to taste you know but Mm -hmm. at the same time you know you can develop your taste and uh, i feel like even just doing this podcast with you it's it's really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff um, that i didn't know you know beforehand a year ago same here as i sit through movie after movie and i take notes it's so much different than even before you're like i would never write for years i haven't been able to kind of turn off this analytical thing like oh they're lighting it from this side and they're doing this negative fill thing and none of that ever really went away but just formalizing my thoughts with these notes and then seeing at the end of a, a session you know after a movie and seeing all my notes kind of compiled together it's it changes the way i kind of look at it it suddenly forms this extra layer of analysis like oh because then you can kind of perform a meta-analysis and say, based on everything that I saw, here's these other things I can kind of extract from this. And just, man, if you're a filmmaker or just a lover of film and you ever want to just say, I'd like to learn, see what I can learn, watch a movie twice. Watch it the first time for fun. And then the second time, just sit down with a pen and paper and whatever jumps out at you jot it down you might be really surprised at things you take away because this just doing this podcast has been game changing for me really absolutely wow and it's because of the note taking you think did you do that yeah. before no i would take these mental notes yeah um, i would watch scenes and be like oh they structured the camera movement around this one important moment um even though like in a game of thrones episode i might say oh there's this conversation happening but the the camera at the start of the scene really just starts dollying in kind of disregarding everyone else just because at one particular moment someone's having a realization and then they say a line and they were just building it up and i learned you know audience expectation and how to watch someone think just from showing them on screen sometimes just having a person on screen you assume things about them yeah oh yeah (laughs) that's kind of the magic of editing yeah um and yeah so just from this podcast yeah i've absolutely awesome learned so much yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have two from you, but also from, you know, oh, I need to have something to talk about. <laughs> what and you know, so watching watching films for that specific thing, like, t- what am I going to take away from this? And sometimes watching films twice. So tonight, mm-hmm. you know, this movie we're going to do, A Quiet Place. I saw it twice in the theater. One because it's I I just wanted to, <laughs> yeah. but two I wanted to see what I could take away from it. You know taking notes and yeah it was it was a different experience the second time i watched it that's really cool you know? yeah. i'm excited to hear so much about that yeah and that said if you haven't seen a quiet place beware uh, yeah tons of spoilers and we hate spoilers so you've been warned <laughs> uh we're going to talk about a lot of things uh we'll talk about some of the metaphors of a quiet place uh the importance of an opening scene and specifically the opening scene of this film uh, obviously, we'll talk about some of the sound. It's hard to have a movie called A Quiet Place and not discuss the audio, and as well as acting and a lot more, actually. I think there's going to be a jam-packed session lying ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so a quick synopsis of the film. Uh, again, spoilers. So pause this, go watch it, preferably in a theater, and, and then come back and listen. 
A family is forced to live in silence while hiding from creatures that hunt by sound. Directed by John Krasinski. Screenplay by Brian Woods, Scott Beck, and John Krasinski. Starring Emily Blunt as Evelyn, John Krasinski as Lee, Millicent Simmons as Reagan, and Noah Jupe as Marcus. kind of hard uh, to find a great clip from here because it's all visual yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the first time we walked out of this thing uh it definitely made an impact on you what was that feeling like watching it the first time and having it settle with you for several days after is what you said yeah uh so the thing that i think that most um or one of the things i think that most I mean, what, what is this, a horror film? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what it's, it yeah, is. Right, yeah. Maybe it's a horror film. Yeah, I, I would call it a horror film. I, yeah, okay. Creature feature. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Because it's it's kind of, it's on the same plane as like Alien, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit different. It It's kind of, anyway. I mean, you're always surrounded by this thing, this like feeling. The only th- way I could describe it is there's just a mist of uncomfortableness the entire time. And, so yeah, I, I walked out of there the first time exhausted and w- w- in a great way. But one of the one of the things I feel like I don't like about most horror films or creature films or whatever is that they don't typically, for me, give me a they don't make me love the character like right off the bat. You know, the they don't make me really invested in these people the way that this film does. I mean, there's, we've already mentioned about the spoilers, so I'll just go into it, right? There's no better way to get me to love parents than to kill their child. I mean, as a parent myself, and when I was watching that, I remember watching the trailer and seeing that, you know, the kid walking and the the plane, you know, his little little, Mm -hmm. uh, rocket going off and then John running, to to get him as the creatures running through the, the forest at they're both running at the same time i remember seeing that and i thought in my head of course he gets there and of course he saves that kid oh. of course right <laughs> and so when it didn't happen and that it was it was like oh shit this is a totally different movie than i thought i was coming into wow you know? um so anyway that uh, so I was completely invested in the family and wanted them to be okay, wanted them to win. But you know, and I love John Krasinski. I've, I've always loved him. I mean, who doesn't love John Krasinski? <laughs> the guy is just like a lovable dude. Uh, but then you know, knowing that like outside of the film, they're actually married. Really, you know, came through on screen for me. Uh, so anyway, so they they really had me invested in the characters, and then. I mean, you don't see the creature like for most of the film. Mm-hmm. They did it so well. It's, you know, which I guess, you know, like holds is the reason why you're just so tense the entire time. Because not only do you not see this thing that you know is close, but you can feel it because they're not speak. They're not making sounds. They're not speaking in every movement. Your thing, you're on pins and needles because you don't want them to make a sound. And you know, some point they're going to make a sound, <laughs> right? They're human. It's yeah. going to happen. And you're, you just, it was so, um, I, w- I was engulfed by it. Yeah. And it's, that's why it stuck with me for several days. And then the second time I saw it, it was the same, but different. You know, I knew what was going to happen and I, I expected it. So while people were jumping next to me. I still jumped <laughs> a few times, uh, but uh, it was, it was more of a um, man at the end. It's just a win. It's yeah. it's a bigger win at the end for me. The second time I saw it, when they figured out how to de- defeat the monsters. So I I don't I could keep going, but no, I'm just I love pause that there because the uh, 
It was similar for me whenever I've seen a movie already and I go back to watch it again and I'm excited about it. And that's kind of the, uh, the pitfall of loving a movie and watching again because you want those same feelings that you had that first experience. Yeah. And you just can't quite have that exact same experience. But what also happens for me is I start to scramble up the events in my head a little bit and I'm anticipating, oh, but when do they get to the silo? I thought the fireworks are already going. I thought that, that and all the, yeah. the things just start to tangle up in my head. I'm like, well, how are they going to get there? And I start yeah. asking these questions again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, it takes a slightly different uh, questioning tone and context for me because all those questions have already been answered once, but now I kind of forgot how the answers got there. And that's all I can remember are the answers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all tangled and confused with the timeline and everything. And yeah, there's that, there are still these great moments that if they don't make you jump, they sure as hell make you cringe. Yeah. Like the, uh, the nail scene, like oh, God. that, that's just always going to be an effective Ooh. scene because it's even more effective the second time. Yeah. Yeah. Because even in the first viewing, you're already expecting it. Yeah. They set that joker up from the get go yeah. and you're just, you know, on pins and needles, yeah. uh, pins and nails, yeah. waiting for it to happen. And then when it does, and obviously it's at the worst timing possible, which is great writing, you know, throw your characters into hell and make them claw their way back out. And you just, it's such an empathetic moment. Uh, and it definitely comes back to, Emily Blunt's performance and just excellent directing. You know, unlike you, man, I didn't know John Krasinski. I wouldn't say I was a fan of him. Like I've only in the last like three weeks started watching The Office. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh man, I'd seen like two episodes before, and I was kind of forced to watch him at the time. Even yeah. I just really hate Michael Scott. Like it's so oh, cringy, yeah. and yeah. I just. It's not funny. He's almost never funny to me. Oh. Um, and it, it just feels like nails on a chalkboard. So I would, I would never watch it. And so I just always saw John Krasinski as Jim from, it, from the perspective of, oh, he's actually a really interesting, cool character. And so walking into this movie, I was like, okay, we got John Krasinski as a hero. Okay, I kind of buy it. I, I saw him in whatever it was, uh, the 13 hour. Oh, or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which he was hours. great in. Um, yeah. And I was like, okay, I can kind of see it. He's, he yoked up for that movie and he's rocking his beard. He looks like a badass. Okay, let's see what he's got. Yeah. But having knowing that he was directing it too, I was like, Oh man, you're you're digging a That's hole. Right yeah. <laughs> it's all his all state. His yeah. insurance money right, right there. <laughs> because other than thirteen hour, I think I saw him in that old football movie with George Clooney. And I was impressed with him in that. It was hard to watch him in that. I was like dude, you're playing opposite George Clooney. That's a tall freaking task for anyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, walking, watching this movie, it didn't take long. I mean, yeah. really from that opening sequence, I was like, Oh God, like I am completely invested in everyone here. Yeah. And like you said, it's even knowing that they're married, it helped put it over the top, which in a lot of other movies can really hold you back. Definitely. <laughs> it's, it breaks that suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Uh -huh. Because everything you want in the movie is to forget that these are actors yeah. and that they know each other in real life. And they have this other off-screen world going on that has nothing to do with cameras. I think that has something to do with the fact of whether or not you love them as, as the as, – like, hmm. you, you know, I, I, you tell me one film that Emily Blunt is in where you don't love her. Oh, absolutely. Right. right. You Every know, time where you just want to hang out with her. Yeah. Same as Jim or Jim. I call him Jim. <laughs> Same as John Krasinski. Like you just want to hang out with the dude, like mm -hmm. get a beer. He seems yeah. like he's a lot of fun, you know, easy going yeah, guy. He's probably a total jerk, right. total, total opposite of Jim from the office. Uh, no, I can't kidding. believe that. Right. Just because kidding. Emily Blunt seems way too cool and, uh, head on her shoulders and, you just believe the best about these kind of people yeah, that they choose yeah, yeah. to be with each other. Like, yeah, they seem like they yeah. got their shit together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but even watching some of the behind the scenes footage, there's like, I'll put it in the show notes, um, that you can see him directing whenever he's not acting in front of the camera and you still get this sense of he's working really hard to connect with his actors on yeah. more than just a, do what I say basis. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh God. I love that. That's awesome. Cause there are directors who are more concerned with just yanking a performance out instead of like, 
let's work together to create something. Yeah. And sometimes that works. I mean, if you need to be a Hitchcock and just kind of, uh, finagle and finesse it in a very <laughs> strong way. Hey, so be it. If it makes a better film, I guess I'm all for it. But personally, I just think there's a better way to go about it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he blew me away, not only with his acting, but uh, his directing was just nuanced because I actually went back and I read the original script before he got involved uh-huh. and it was 68 pages and it was a decent script. It was a good script with all these weird rule breaking things. For one, it was 68 pages. Like if you're going to write a script, bare minimum needs to be like 85, 90 pages. And so they were already well short of the industry average, but then they started inserting like a picture of the monopoly board (laughs) to demonstrate like their game planning. And the script is completely different similar but very very different from what ended up on screen i was really surprised and all that has to be a testament to the work that he did on the script he came in and he said we're going to switch this we're going to do this and chop out scenes chop out characters replace them with other characters like it was really impressive and reading the script made me like triple my respect for what he brought to this film oh wow awesome because hearing some of the backstory of how this movie came to be you have these two writers who are just like and directors writer directors really struggling to make it they decide oh we're gonna just work on this thing we've been chewing on for like five or ten years and then it gets some attention from Michael Bay, which I've worked on one of his sets before. Um, this production company is the same production company that made Friday the 13th. And I worked with on the set with those. They wouldn't remember my name or face. <laughs> like, let's, <laughs> let's, don't think I'm name dropping here. I'm really not. I was, yeah. if anything, uh, the lowest scumbag on the, on the set. Uh, like, the guy that. that everyone picked on. Especially the first few days, man, they just give you hell. Like, if you <laughs> throw your garbage in the wrong trash can, I got a lecture. Like, hey, 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 no, no. That is not the recycling bin. That's a plastic bottle, bro. That's the recycling bin. Like, they, like, pulled my card, man. I was that's, like, oh, yeah, yes, sir. That's awesome. I mean, it was more like your voice is ringing, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it ended up being an awesome set, and I loved working with all those people. Even uh, the producers, Brad and... Uh, I think it's Brad Fuller and Andrew Form or something like that. One of the things uh, I want to talk about, right, was the acting. The performances are all great. Emily Blunt especially. I'll get to that in a second. But one of the best going through a class with a local acting coach here, I don't think she's coaching anymore, but she was incredible. Her name is C.K. McFarland. And she taught me one of the best lessons I've, I've taken away from acting, which was the idea of moments of composition, And it took me like a full class to understand what that phrase meant because I don't even know how to begin dissecting that. What does the moment of composition mean? And what it ended up meaning is this idea that if you go through a wide range of emotions in a short period of time, you give each of those emotions time to settle. And you think about it like a photograph even. Like if you go from hearing a bit of news to being upset by that bit of news, you don't do it in an instant. You take a moment, you digest it. Maybe you look down for a second and I don't want to get mechanical about acting, but uh, just from a audience perspective, this is what it looks like. Even it's like, Oh, this character just heard that his girlfriend is, you know, sleeping with the mailman. <laughs> it's like, and he just kind of takes it in, looks down for a second, looks back up, and then just flies off the handle, right? There's this moment of composition and you think about that as an actor, like, am I allowing this moment to settle and be recognized for what it is? Because if you move too quickly through an emotion, then the audience never gets a chance to appreciate exactly what's going across your mind. Because the one of the old rules of filmmaking is show me, don't tell me. If you can perform it without saying it, that's a much more effective way to get the audience inside your head and to empathize with you and to recognize and feel what's happening. And that's where a really great amount of tension can come from. And so they do it all throughout this movie. You're having all these great moments of composition where they just frame the moment and let it sit. Like my favorite might be where Lee comes back with his son from uh, fishing and dealing with that 
monster uh, killing the old man and his wife or whatever. And they walk over the hill, yeah. right? And they see those red lights. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment because we just hold on his face. Yeah. It takes like a, a couple of seconds. Because like, in your mind, what you're saying is go, 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 go. What are you doing? Yeah. You're, you're thinking too much. Like, you know what's happening. And we hold on his face and they boom the camera to echo how he's experiencing it. And just a side note on camera language, there's all these terminology references to, to what you're doing with a camera. And just to kind of give you an idea, imagine that uh, the camera's on a tripod, similar to the way your, your head is sitting on your shoulders, on your neck. And panning is a left or right thing. It's like turning your head left or right. Tilting is like nodding or looking up and down. Your head isn't actually rising or falling, right? It's just pivoting. A boom, when you're booming the camera, that's kind of like you're, you're putting it on the end of a seesaw. Like it's going to physically rise up into the air or lower, you know, down. And so for that, instead of a seesaw, they use like a jib or a crane. And that helps add all this extra parallax. And it can do just create this extra cinematic moment that can create a, a an intention within the audience. Like in this case, it's given this rising fear, like, Oh, there's this moment that's building and there's a realization that's happening and it's all rising. And in the same way that all that understanding and, and blood is rising up in him. And I love how it, all the, the moment and the camera language is just echoing everything that he's experiencing in that moment. It's beautiful, and it all plays into that moment of composition. And then, of course, the uh, the biggest moment of composition is got to be has got to be the uh, the scene where he's saying goodbye to his daughter, and he says as she's sitting in the truck, right, and he signs to her, "I love you. I have always loved you." And we'll talk about more about that scene uh, in a while, but. They really let that moment settle. There's so much emergency that's at, happening in that moment that you're like, yeah, but you need to get to it. But at the same time, you don't want to say goodbye. Like there's this such a beautiful and heartbreaking moment. He could have ended it with, I love you. And that could have been it. Adding that extra line. It's like, yeah. Don't think I'm saying it just because of now. Yeah. Yeah. Understand. It, it has always been this way. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah, reiterate it like for eternity because those three words can be a uh, a bit of a crutch for a lot of movies yeah there i mean it might be easier to, to go through uh, and see what movies haven't used those words yeah <laughs> and yeah. so and we use it in our daily lives so it can be a really diluted thing and adding tacking on that extra little bit and mm-hmm. just a multitude of ways really helps land the gravity yeah and we'll talk about the full gravity because there's a great metaphor that's happening underneath the skin of all this. Mm-hmm. But in terms of acting, I mean, you want to talk about composing a moment. Yeah. Emily freaking blunt, man. Mm. There's, she's always in it. There is not a moment where I, I see her, you know, she, her performance. I mean, I, I came home last night and sat in the hallway and told you she needs to be nominated. They, yeah. When you talk about acting and you talk about some, uh, like a, an actor disappearing, you know, there, there are a handful of times where I can say, yeah, I did not see so-and-so on the screen. Mm-hmm. I saw that character and she just nailed it. I mean, don't get me wrong. John Krasinski, the kids, like everybody, solid, solid work. Um, but she had a lot more to, to bear, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know? She had to be strong, but she had to be a lot more. Like, she, had to, she had also had to be, like, able to give power to him. Like, when she just had the baby and she's laying there and she's telling him to protect the kids. Yeah. So she, she was strong up until then, but, you know, she can't really do much. She just had a freaking baby. So to be able to hand that off the way that she that she delivers those lines it it was i just flawless man and her fear you thousand percent <laughs> oh my god i mean th- there are a few things you know as an actor i think that a lot a lot of actors it, it well just period it, are hard to do 
cry mm. on cue is not the easiest thing. I mean, for some people, maybe it is, you know, for the good ones. Crying on cue is, 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 you know, pretty hard. Um, uh, I mean, being, being funny, you can kind of learn that, but like scared, like you can easily see through that as, as a viewer. Like I, if you're not really, if you're acting scared, it's very easy to see through that. I mean, they were terrified the entire time. I mean, there's, I think the only time where maybe one person I felt wasn't scared was when the daughter was angry and she walked off to the, to the, where her little brother Mm -hmm. died. She just didn't care anymore. She was just like, I'm, I'm going. Very apathetic. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the, but that was the point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so other than that, I just think they were always scared all the time and they were doing so good, but she, her just, yeah, she put on uh, a freaking masterclass yes, of a silent clinic, performance, man. absolute clinic. And every expression was so full of communication and wrought with tension. And I'm not sure what they had, especially her. She had probably the most screen time with the monsters Yeah, and I don't know what she had to play against. Yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that to summon all of that is is just knowing your your vessel and understanding uh, your body and your body language, every part of her. And it sucks because the Academy is not very kind to yeah. genre films like this. Yeah. And when I see something like this and get out and they're just elevating the art form of horror films and it's so get out came close yeah they came close this year yeah right uh-huh. uh, or last year or whatever so maybe you know maybe tide might be turning who knows she absolutely deserves a uh a nomination yeah. now i would understand like it's gonna i'm sure there's gonna be a lot of great performances i understand if you don't want to give her the award fine but at a minimum at a minimum you gotta recognize just the absolute dominance that she put on in this film um her calls i love it whenever he like he calls her beautiful right in sign um and her response right is bloating her cheeks and it's just so to kind of demonstrate that she feels unattractive yeah (laughs) um but it's just so tender and personal and uh and it does the most important thing which is it's silent right yeah it's still playing into the world and god and i love uh Let's talk about sound for a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. Going into the uh, the music playing while they dance, it's just this beautiful moment of reprieve that sells their connection because they don't really have too much screen time together. And so you have to really optimize, and we've seen this in past films that we've covered, using music and using sound to help bridge that gap of their relationship and how they really feel about each other. Uh, it's just a great use of sound considering that the mu- the movie in itself is so void yeah. of dialogue and, and ambience really. <laughs> and they haven't had a, a connection mm-hmm. yet in the film until yeah. then, you yeah. know, I mean, you know that they're the parents, um, you know, they both lost a child, but you don't know you know, did that, did that, when they, when they lost him, did that drive them apart? You know, obviously not too much because now she's pregnant, but it's, you know, how are they do, you know, like, mm-hmm. are they close? How close? Like, what is their relationship like? And that, you know, just a one little scene tells you everything you need to know is, yeah, you're right. Perfect. Beautiful. I love the hard sound cuts that they insert yeah. uh, when they're yeah. switching to the, the deaf girl, right? Uh, her name is Reagan when they cut to Reagan and it seemed like it was a lot of close-ups and medium close-ups and reading some of the interviews, it sounded like they had to stick to a lot of mediums because otherwise you miss her signing. Like you have to include her hands in order to, to help communicate. Like she's trying to communicate right now. And, but I love that, that trigger, um, triggering the muted audio whenever you're jumping into these tighter shots of her, like in her expression in the opening scene, when she realizes the toy noise, it really just helps understand and empathize with her world. We're experiencing her world as she experiences it. And it's wildly different from everyone else. And that's important because it's already a, a very quiet world. Her world isn't quiet. It's silent. And those are two massive differences, 
even in this world. And it's such a perfect use. Obviously, it comes into play, you know, throughout the film with her, her earpiece, especially. And this is by far not the first movie to utilize sound in a uh, scary way in a film, right? It, yeah, yeah. Pretty much every scary movie is going to have a point where you can't make too much noise or you'll alert the monster. Um, but here the, the whole movie is built around that and it's for a reason, which is still forthcoming. But uh, also love the, uh, there's a little sound effect at the beginning whenever the, the sun enters the frame after he swipes the batteries, there's this and the, and the toy, there's this great soft boom. It's so gentle and soft, but it kind of uh, emphasizes something bad is kind of happening right now. And it, it, it could be that soft just because it's not having to compete against anything else. Yeah. You know, when, when you have your sound mixed that low or, you know, relatively that high, probably pumping up a lot of the ambient noise uh, because there's just, the footsteps are pretty silent. So mm -hmm. audience needs to hear something, yeah. but just having that soft boom really sold the, uh, the, the tension and it really helped insert that. I also love the, uh, blending her scream into the bottle rocket whistle. Oh my God. Emily Blunt, when she was in the, uh, the bathtub. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 God, that was beautiful, beautiful work and just timing. God and her scream is blood curdling. I, oh man, uh, that was some scream queen. Yeah, stuff. I, and I was gonna bring it up. You, you were asking. I wonder what she played off of. I mean, yeah, I mean, what she played off of for that yeah. in particular, you know, and just, oh my gosh, it was crazy. Uh, no, it, it was watching it the second time. I noticed a lot more about how they set everything up like that. Op the opening scene in the, um, the, the, what, wherever they were, the store. Yeah. This, the store. Yeah. You know, you see her, you see Reagan walking and the camera is positioned strategically to, as she walks past focus directly on her earpiece. Mm. And that's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. Right. And then, it, you know, a couple of times I think in there, it does the hard cut, the hard sound cut. And yeah. so you, you're aware of the difference, you know, mm -hmm. you're, okay, now we're in Reagan's world. Okay. Now we're in everyone else's world or whatever. One of the things that I, that I, when we talked after the first time we saw it, I was, that I said, I'm not quite, I was a little annoyed that it took her three times to realize it was her earpiece that mm -hmm. was messing with yeah. the monster. And you said, well, she didn't know the monster was there the first time. And I said, you're right. I told I completely forgot about it. So uh, it was an experience that like you had where yeah, I was right. like I didn't even notice I because didn't we remember. both I think we both had that same thought. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why didn't she pick up on what effect that earpiece had? Is you having? seen it a second time? The second you, time, whenever you and I talked, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think we had spoken about that specific moment after right. our first time, but yeah. I went into the movie with that same thought. Yeah, saying I just don't remember why she didn't like put yeah. two and two together faster. Yeah. It's, she didn't know. Yeah. Dumb, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny though, the things that we kind of insert after the fact, the memories that yeah. we're associating become a little jumbled up. Yeah. Yeah. But here's a question for you. After my second viewing, I went and saw this with our friends, Joe and Heather, and we got into this really great conversation about that opening sequence. And I want to ask you, how do you feel about, the little boy grabbing the batteries. So here's, here was the, the, it was a long conversation, but the short of it is Joe and I ended up coming up with the idea that showing him grabbing the batteries might've weakened the tension in some ways. I can, I can understand both ways, right? You show him, grab the batteries and now you're anticipating what he's going to do and that he's going to turn that thing on and he's going to get himself in trouble. And we already kind of know that, if you've seen a preview, but I, we also kind of came to the idea that maybe it's better to not show the batteries being picked up. Hmm. And then you're left wondering, we see, maybe we just cut away on the shot of the batteries and then we cut, you know, to his face or to later on. And then we're anticipating, I think he grabbed the batteries. I think he grabbed the batteries and it kind of creates this extra layer of, uh, anticipation yeah. and, and you're waiting on edge. And then when you hear it and you're like, I knew it. And it, I kind of like having these 
moments that you throw to the audience of they get to be smart. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and sure. that's a softball, sure. granted. Yeah. But there's this battle between us, you know, in our heads that is it better to leave that up to the audience to figure out or is it better to uh, lay it on and be like, you know what's coming now. Um, I don't know. Weigh in. How do you feel about that? You know, that's a good, uh, it's a good question. Um, I think that typically I would say don't show the batteries being grabbed. In this case, I don't care. Yeah. Because of what happens. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The first time I saw it, I mean, now that I see if, you know, if I see it a third time, I might, or a fourth time or a fifth time, I might be like, just don't grab the batteries, man. <laughs> just don't do it, man. Come on. Uh, but it will never overshadow what happens next. So I don't really care. It's so brutal. Yeah. So on that same note, how do you feel in going back to our show intro this week, mm. the heavy usage of that opening scene and the trailer, do you, like for you, it sounded oh, yeah. like it, it set up a false expectation for me. I kind of always, I don't know. I don't remember what I expected anymore, but it's such an important moment that, it could come across as like you're giving, you're tipping too much of your hat. Do you feel like it was a spoiler? No. Okay. Because like I said, I was sure he was going to save the kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't, cause I didn't know what the creature was. I didn't know how tapped into sound it was, you know, like yeah. you, you see movies like this come out and you think there's a weakness. There's definitely a weakness. Uh, you know, maybe it's, it's not as fast or maybe this shot it's like farther away, you Mm -hmm. know, and he's just, he's really close to the kid. He's going to get there for sure. I was just making all these concessions in my head because I didn't want to see a kid die, you know? Uh, and maybe that's maybe somebody else that doesn't have kids might not, you know, see it that way. might see, Oh no, that was a spoiler, but I don't think they necessarily, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong the way you saw it, but I don't think they'd necessarily, see that as a spoiler until they saw what exactly happened. That's fair. I mean, and I also empathize with marketing because the, the trick is how do you get butts in seats without showing them the good parts? Uh Yeah. 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 For sure. (laughs) And without showing them the monster too. Yeah. Because all we get to see in the trailer from what I remember is her in the bathtub with the monster in the room and in my best world, I would not have that in the trailer, but I can understand the need to like, Oh, there's a crazy looking monster. Like you got to see this thing. Yeah. But in the trailer, you didn't know she was pregnant. You did. You did. Mm-hmm. I need they to go back and the watch belly. the trailer. Well, I feel like they did. Um, that's mm. my memory, <laughs> but it's an interesting quandary. I think for, for filmmakers, I remember sitting in a, a screening with, catfish and the the creators and the main character of that movie were, you know, a guy is looking for this girl that he met online and he was frustrated with the marketing is like they marketed this as like a thriller and it's anything, but, but at the same time, I understand like they had to, they had to sell tickets, <laughs> Yeah, but we didn't get to say so in that, but yeah, so it's a, it's a balancing act that, yeah. uh, what I do respect is J.J. Abrams always seems to find a way to make you really want to watch his movies without giving almost anything away. Yeah, it's an art form. It is. Cutting it really trailer. is. Uh, salesmanship and marketing, that's that's a hard monster to, to, to master. Yeah, for sure. What, what I also love about the uh, that opening scene, and this is super basic, but is in the store, it's really window lit. It's backlit, right? Everything is coming in from the outside, coming in. Man, that's such a cheap and easy way to get beautiful lighting mm-hmm. is just lighting it from outside and blasting it, it through the windows and to keep some mystery. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You get all these great shadows and contrast and, and it's interesting the way they cut that opening scene. It's almost like some of the characters are replicating the, uh, the monsters themselves, right? The, the first shot of the kid has him kind of skittering across the floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh no, it's a creepy kid. This is not good. This is not good. Run away. <laughs> Give me a monster any day. Just not a creepy kid. And I love that. It's a very Deacon's thing to do. And not that he like is the only person who I've ever done it. But when I watch Deacon's films, uh, he tends to do a lot of single source lighting and no fill. And I love that style. Um, not that they really did much more of that throughout this film, but to that point, um, 
a little bit of the camera work was kind of cool. I love the shot where she hangs the the mobile, which is really cool in and of itself because it's made of all this these cloth things that make no noise. And and in one single shot, they reveal one her and the mobile. There's a baby on the way, and they reemphasize it again with revealing her belly. It, she rises and steps into frame and it reveals her belly. And it's just this very simple reflection of their world right now. One, we can't make any noises. We're hanging this thing. And then, yeah, she's like super pregnant and ready to freaking pop. And they did it with blocking. Basically, I don't know if the camera really moved that much because they just had her rise into the frame instead of like booming the camera down or tilting it down. Simple, effective way to, get multiple angles in one shot. Also love the, uh, the TV monitors showing the monsters. They, and they, they do this in other films like last week's where it's a great way to sell effects because you're watching through these degraded monitors. You don't have to really have perfect effects (laughs) to sell these creatures. So it's this kind of lo-fi solution to probably a, a really tough budget problem of, how do we show these characters and not spend $10 million doing it? Yeah. <laughs> well, here's a way to cheat a bunch of shots because it doesn't need per- to be perfect to make it work. Also, speak, talking about the monsters, I love how there's no origins or backstory. Only thing we really get is their strengths and what we know about it. And they express that through the newspaper clippings. Yeah. God, that's that's great. Like I can appreciate an origin story, but... Here, especially in this world, it's it's more important that we don't get this these titles before the film that says in twenty twenty eight. Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> Monsters came from space or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> there's just there's just these They're things just there, and they kill a lot of freaking people. Yeah, and things <laughs> and things. Yeah, yeah, the raccoon scene. <laughs> so, what are your? You said you have some metaphors. The metaphor is super obvious when you say it out loud, and maybe even if you don't. You have a family that cannot communicate with each other. And monsters aside, that still stands. Yeah. And so the monsters become a metaphor for their inability to communicate uh, for a family, especially a father uh, who can't communicate, even though they desperately need to in order to heal. That's why that opening sequence is so important, because they spend the rest of the movie trying to deal with the fallout. Yeah. of what happened in that moment. And it's really shown beautifully through that intercutting of when the, the father and son are at the waterfall and they're having that dialogue and about the death of the little boy. But we also, at that same time, they start intercutting how the other two members of the family are dealing with it. Yeah. You have the daughter who can't get past that moment. Yeah, She's there. She wants to change what she did. And she can't, and her father won't kind of won't let her like the, she wants to go out and help with the fishing and help with the chores and the father's being protective and he won't let her. And she's taking it from the place of what, like you don't forgive me or you still blame me and they won't talk to each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you, you have the mom, right? Who's in the boy's bedroom. She just misses him. Like she yeah. just misses her little boy. And it's one scene that gives you a, really quick oversight and how everyone's dealing with it. And of course you have the little boy who just point blank tells his dad, you need to tell her. Yeah. It's not hard. Just do it. Well, it is hard. It is hard. And that's, that's the issue. That is the issue. And that is real life. And that's why this movie is so effective because we're really caught up in the drama of them relating and talking to each other and while trying to maneuver the world that they find themselves in. And of course, ultimately he has to answer the question of how far would you go? What would you do to protect your kids? And there's also a, a, an interesting thing that may or may not be intentional. Um, it seemed like we have these odd numbers like day, whatever, 79 and you have a death of the family member when that numbers are odd, when numbers are even things are good. And so Wait, is that like a rule in no, it's, like it's this? no rule. I feel like that's just something they invented oh. for this film. Okay. For how many times is it? Do days we see four up? different days, four of them. Okay. We see that obviously the first one, first, yeah. then the second day is when none of their family dies. We see the old man die, but 
none of them do. And then the next day, uh, which is like day four, three seventy nine or whatever, four seventy nine, is when the dad sacrifices himself and or four seventy seven. God, there's numbers stuff. But it's on the next day, on day four seventy eight, after their dad sacrifices himself, that I feel like there's a metaphor happening there because they use the light to represent like a new era, a dawning of light, a dawning of understanding because she suddenly gets it right. Mm -hmm. The effect her earpiece is having on the monster. And that happens on a new day, the the brand new day, the day after the sacrifice. And it's in that moment, you know, that she sees his love reflected, you know, in the earpieces that he worked on. She goes down to the shop and she finally understands like, Oh, and so you're having all these, these moments happening right at the same time. And that's not a new thing to have a, the light represent, you know, victory or understanding a new refreshing, all that stuff mm-hmm. um, is very, very common. That is a very normal cin- cinematic thing, but yeah, she sees the your pieces that he worked on and he kept trying to make her be heard by him. He kept trying to communicate in the style that was good for him. I want you to hear me through your earpiece. I'm going to work on this and then you'll hear me, but it never worked. It only ever, she needed to hear quote unquote in the way that she understands, which is the sign language, which is ultimately how he finally communicated with her and his love and attempt to communicate finally opened her up. And so it was just this really simple, beautiful metaphor for a family needs to learn how to communicate I think they nailed it. I mean, it's simple and it's wildly effective. And it's it's interesting because reading the uh, the original script, they actually do start to jump in, up and down on this. They don't really jump up and down in the film. Um, it's just this kind of lightly under, underneath thing that's happening as far as tying those two things together, the uh, the monster's ability to kill them and you know their their own inability to communicate. But in the in the script, it was interesting because the the I love you scene happens out loud. And I think that works really well in script format, right? Because it's this beautiful moment of I love you, which ultimately causes his death, right? That's the literal trigger and his ability to finally communicate. But it, it would, I don't think it would work. I think John Krasinski was brilliant. He chose to do it. And a different way that was much more reflective of him reaching out to her. And yeah, in the way that she could understand it yeah. and see it. Man, definitely. Great. But it yeah. in the in the script, I mean, if you have like an hour and a half to, to kill, like reading that script, I think is is really great because that moment coalesces gorgeously. And I can see why Michael Bay and these guys fell in love with the script because they did some really beautiful storytelling work in there. Um, and super efficiently it's, it's, it's kind of a hard read though, cause no dialogue means you're just, uh, reading a lot of description. description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, can I point out the, the music by all means in this? Uh, so one of the things that's really, you know, you, you talk about a, a, a quiet movie, I think that what separates this from like a B movie is the fact that there is music. A lot of B movies would just say it's, you got to be quiet. So we're going to have nothing. Right. And I mean, it, you, you know, you can kind of think, you can kind of think, yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. Um, but from the outsider point of view, from outs, outside in watching, there are moments there are moments that just that that needs something you know like not having an hour and a half of pure silence you know mm. like that's that's just a little much it's exhausting you know it's exhausting and can movies do it and do it well for sure i'm not saying that they can't but the music the score for this film is so is so good and it's very subtle and subdued and there's a lot of droniness and like minor key obviously minor key but like very like low end kind of stuff where it's like there's a lot of bottom end to it why why obvious minor key well because the feeling that you get when you hear a minor key you know like like so the difference you're you going to explain so like the di- there's a difference between a minor key and a major key and it, a major key feels uplifting it feels bright it feels happy it feels uh 
elated. It feels like it's lifting you up. Um, whereas, you know, if you play a chord and you go from a major and you change the middle note down a half step or, or whole, depending on what chord you're playing, and to a minor, all of a sudden it feels like you're sinking, like you're low, like it just sounds dark Ooh. for like, uh, you know, if you're, if you want to talk in colors, it sounds uh, on the darker spectrum of color. Um, and, and it gives you this feeling of, of, I mean, dread or sadness. And, and so you can go either way. And a lot of times, you know, uh, in music, you can tie the two together and they do a good job actually doing that in this. There are moments where it goes from like really dark minor key and then just kind of morphs into this, okay, we're going to have like a, a little bit of relief here, a little bit of relief, and then it's right back into where it was. And because there's a lot of pads and there's a lot of like um, uh, droniness, it's a lot easier to do that kind of thing. You know, in rock and roll, for example, where you have chord, chord, chord. It's very structured and it's very rigid. It becomes super obvious when it's, you're it's, making Yeah, it's changes. like, oh, now we're in major. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, here, not only are you distracted by what you're watching, but it flows a lot better, it's uh, just a lot more. Slurs so, yeah, you slink into major key or, mm. or you know, something. Um, or you just drop the low end out because that's where the minor is playing, but you mm. have, like, maybe a... So, to make a, to make a chord minor, you usually use three notes, usually. So, what you could do is play the minor chord on your left hand low, but play notes that could be minor or major with your right hand higher, right? So then you just start taking out the low, and now all of a sudden it could be mi minor or major because on your right hand you're playing two notes that could be either or. So then it kind of feels like... So in one stroke you can go from underdog to victor. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they do that really brilliantly in this film. And it's... The, but the fact that they're even using music um is so welcome because they they do use it sparingly there's a lot of silence in that whole opening scene there's nothing yeah. and you're thinking oh this is what i'm in for but that and then also the all the foley work that they did and the sounds the monster makes are are just <laughs> so good it it makes me think of um dolphins and bats and how they communicate mm -hmm. and how they hunt and how yeah. they you know using clicks and echolocation and, echo location and, and things yeah it, it's really well done no and it, and to add on to all of that like it also helps to have and this is a weird effect but having subtitles the way that when they're signing and they're communicating like being forced to read also pulls you deeper into the story like yeah i find that I can never ever be doing anything but watching a foreign movie if I'm going to really understand what's happening and having like 110% of your focus really helps bring you that much more into the world and this is already such an incredibly immersive world that you just sink that much deeper yeah. by having to read text on screen yeah so agreed what would you give it out of a you like to do the 1 to 10 scale I do Oh man, what would I get? I'm gonna give it a ten. I, I don't. I. 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 I don't like horror films. Um, I. I. Here. Okay. One thing I hate about horror films, mm -hmm. I freaking hate it, is when they use sound to startle you. But I love it in this film. <laughs> I really do because they do that. And yeah. somebody at, um, at work today, I was talking about it. Somebody at work said, do they do that whole thing where, you know, something jumps out of nowhere and then they use this sound to scare you? I said, yes. And it's awesome. Every <laughs> single time. Every time it's awesome. Um, and I, I can't explain to you why. I uh, Actually, maybe I can. So in in other movies... And I just keep going back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre because <laughs> I, I, this is the this is the only other movie that I feel like I was just I was wasted when I came out of. Like when yeah. I saw that movie, I was exhausted after that. Uh, and this is this I feel the same way. But I think that the reason why I hated it when they did it in that, and I actually love it in this, is because this you have to be quiet. Yeah, like there's. You know, there are moments in that where you have to be quiet because you're hiding or something. Mm -hmm. But in this, you always have to be quiet. The entire world the, is built around that. The, exactly. So I guess it's okay that they use that. 
um, because it's it's actually happening to the to the actors in the the same way that it's happening to you because you're experiencing it the same way because you have to be quiet in the theater and yeah yeah so I give it a ten nice yeah I can't really argue against it I mean I have no reason to not give it a ten yeah yeah I think so yeah hey like. I'm used to more of the old Netflix style five star or not. And I would definitely give this a five star. So if I'm converting it to the scale, I'd go 10. Yeah. Awesome. That makes me happy. (laughs) I was thinking that the second time I saw it, that I might, you know, have walk away with more Mm -hmm. things to, to against it. But I feel like it just solidified everything I thought the first time. Yeah. You know, it's beautiful. I mean, they, they use, (laughs) Like when the uh, the lamp gets knocked over, it's so loud and sudden, and it oh does startle God. you, but it also is, like scares you. It's not just you're startled; you're you're afraid now for everyone's life. Right? You're like, oh my God, oh my God, be quiet, be quiet. Because seeing that little boy die in the opening scene just hits you in the stomach, and now you're aware that there's fewer rules here than we would like to to hope. Oh, and I'm glad you brought up breaking that lamp because back to the what you were talking about earlier about letting things hang a little bit. He could have just knocked over a glass of water and it would have been mm. over. But the fact that he knocked over a lamp that caught fire and then they had to make more noise to put the fire out for like, it, man, it felt like 20 seconds, but I'm sure it was like five seconds. But those five seconds where John Krasinski is like patting it down and whatever, you're just like, stop, stop, stop. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> you know, um, it just added to it. Just listen. It was perfect that huh. it was, I don't know if that was in the, was that in the script that it was a lamp? Um, or was that lamp I, even in the script? I, I don't think it was actually, I want to say it was a, it was a glass. <laughs> Cause here's the thing. Did they really need a lamp right there? No, because they had electricity right. and the, and the lights were on. Yeah. Why do you need a lamp? To play Monopoly on the floor when the lights are on. You don't. But you know what? Where did the T-Rex come from? <laughs> Screen left. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. you don't think about that yeah. unless you're on a podcast and you got something to talk about, right? right? You know? It was... It just, yeah, we're going to make it a lamp and we're going to set things... It's going to set on fire and we're going to take five, six seconds to put it out and it's going to be super stressful and awesome the whole time. Oh, well done, John. So good. One last thing. You were talking last night about this great shot after the truck rolls down the hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, so you know, the first time I watched it, I was just, you know, I was so immersed. I didn't catch a lot of stuff, you know. So the second time I really tried to watch it, I never take notes, uh, but I tried to watch it making mental notes. And after, so it, there's one shot in particular that, that caught my eye that I liked. After John... Uh, Krasinski, his character, after he sacrifices himself for his kids, and uh, it cuts, and the kids, you know, put the truck in neutral, and it starts coasting down the hill, and then it it cuts to basically cuts today as the car, and you see the truck rolling down the path towards the house. You're just you're just it cuts this shot, this like long shot, and you're seeing the truck, and then the the camera pulls back. And you realize you're looking through a window and it pulls back through this living room area. So, you know, you're in a house and then it pulls back, um, farther into a hallway and Emily, Emily Blunt walks cross camera and then the camera turns left and follows her out the door to the kids who had just stopped out front and get out of the, the, the truck and are running up to her. Now, the first time I saw it, I didn't think anything about it, but I, this time I thought, man, what a cool way to give you a breath after that, that it was such a holy shit. I can't believe that just happened moment when he sacrifices himself that you just need to be able to take it in. And if, if they were to keep pounding you with more, uh, it would just feel like a little bit too much. So they put the camera in this house, which is their safe place almost. And uh, they leave it there for a second. And then they, and then they follow the mom outside to make you feel like she's okay. She's going to get the kids. Things are, 
you, you get, take a breath, take a breath. And then they hug and then you hear the, the creature and you know, shit goes haywire again. Yeah. But this just a, it, w- it was one shot and it was just a great moment that I, that really made me love what he did and love what they have together and where they are like the whole time. Because a lot of times too, in monster movies, you think just leave, just go away, you know, somewhere, just whatever. But in this case, not only do I not know that they can go away because maybe these creatures are everywhere, but I kind of don't want them to, I kind of want them to stay there and figure it out there. So yeah, yeah, I really like that job. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome because yeah, you get a moment to sit in that sadness and take it in because yeah, you don't want to jump back and forth between emotions too fast. Yeah, especially one that's as serious and supposed to resonate. You know, self-sacrifice scenes should be the the hallmark of your movie. Absolutely. And to yeah, give it that respect and that space. And I love the connecting. I don't remember that shot, and so I'm. Like piecing it together in my head, and I'm like, yeah, that's such a beautiful thing to connect her and her kids all in one shot and to show them reuniting. And it also kind of demonstrates, once again, w- what's missing from this picture. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't even think really, of that. Really, really great. Great work. Cool. So, <laughs> what's your reco for the week? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, I wanted to stick to uh, monster films a little bit and uh, just going to make sure. Yeah, no, I think we're good. I wanted to recommend Cloverfield. Ooh, uh, nice. I know that we've recommended before 10 Cloverfield Lane, mm-hmm. um, but the original 2008 Cloverfield, uh, I just think that the, the way that they did it was really awesome. And um, the way they designed. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah I, can't, <laughs> I can't really say too much. <laughs> yeah. So Cloverfield. Awesome. And I'm yeah. a big fan of that whole series really. Yeah. Um, I'm going to recommend another silent ish film called don't breathe. Ooh. If you haven't seen it and you like a quiet place, I think you'll love don't breathe. It has a lot of these same textures to it. And so that's all I'll say about it. Okay. Um, awesome. Yeah. Great. Horror thriller thing. Well, this is, this is, I always love doing movies that I really like. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess it's fun to kind of tear a movie apart, but in, in my heart, I really, it feels like, you know, stepping on a, a, a bug. I don't, <laughs> I don't like doing it. Uh, uh, there's a lot Ditto. of people that work on even crappy films. And so you yep. always kind of feel a little bit bad about it. Yep. But when there's a movie that I can't stop talking about, can't stop feeling, man, I, I I love doing that. So good call on doing this one this week. Awesome. What, yeah. are we, what are we doing next week? So I think we're going to wrap our deep, dark descent <laughs> <laughs> with the only movie that makes sense, which is seven. Yeah. We've been oh, doing God. all the monsters you can think of. And oh. what better way than end with it's gonna be an exhausting the week. worst monster of them all. Yeah. The worst predator. The human beings. Yeah. <laughs> And so tune in next week for that. Go watch it again if you haven't seen it recently. David Fincher certainly made his name on that film, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to go back through his library. But yeah, until then, drop us a review. Subscribe if you aren't already. And if you want to drop a note on this specific podcast, weigh in. You can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash place all together. And... Todd, I think, is going to try and leave us with a quote of the day. (laughs) Why? Because I always screw these up? No. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) You're you're having allergy attacks. Oh, my gosh. This whole thing. Uh, Man, I've had a tickle in my throat this whole thing. Okay, quote of the day. William Shakespeare. The empty vessel makes the loudest sound. I love that that so much. Explain that. I'm sure we're we're like taking this way out of context. I haven't read nearly enough Shakespeare. You should call my wife. Yeah, basically. But I probably in context, this probably has something to do with someone who runs their mouth, having nothing to say. And, but I love it in context of this film because this is a quiet movie and it has so much to say, you know, in this play against words because you have this family, right? Who's 
doing their thing silently and they're trying to say so much to each other. And I love that idea even in, in context of other films because I feel like this movie is a great movie and it doesn't use that much sound. Whereas in other films, they tend to rely too much on explosions and music and it's just so much sound and it's because maybe they don't have enough to say and it's covering up their Transformers. <laughs> Transformer. <laughs> it's so ironic Michael Bay was on this. Ooh, true that. Yeah. Good job. Good on you, Michael. But Mr. Bay. I also have a secret quote here. Um, yeah, what's going on here? So yeah, I also this is the week that our good friends Joe and yes, Heather yes. ship off to New Zealand to work for the visual effects Titans Weta. And to that, I think if if it's worth being said, Jay Z has probably already said it better, and so I'll just quote him <laughs> <laughs> from Mr. Carter, where he says, "Young Carter, go farther, go further, go harder. Is that not why we came? And if not, then why bother? So go all the way, my friend. You're gonna do it, and I can't wait to see all the cool stuff you get plugged into, my man. Oh man, yeah, we're gonna miss you, Joe. Um, I got no words, man. Um, I'm really sad to see you guys go, but I'm so happy at the same time. If anybody deserves this, you do, buddy. So, 100. Yeah. Thank you guys for, for joining us. And again, please subscribe, review, send it to your friends, uh, family, uh, anybody that ever likes music. If you hate us, tell us. If you love us, tell us. Uh, we'd, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, but until next time, when we do seven, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.